Hello, I'm Bill Fegis, and welcome to our Business Transformation 101 podcast. In our first podcast, we stated that to ensure the business provides consistent, sustainable, improving performance, you need to deploy robust processes in all aspects of the business. We also noted that lean applies to any process and therefore is applicable, applicable across the business and should be deployed across the enterprise. For today's podcast, we have with us Mark Deluzio. Mark is the founder and CEO of Lean Horizons Consulting. Mark and his team teach companies how to implement lean through an enterprise-wide vision to align lean activities with the organization's breakthrough imperatives and to design a culture for long-term success. Mark is the principal architect of the Danaher Business System or DBS, which is arguably the benchmark lean enterprise in the US. Mark is also the author of Flatlined, Why Lean Transformations Fail and What to Do About It, a book that condenses Mark's 30 plus years of lean learnings from working with hundreds of companies into an indispensable guide for anyone starting a lean transformation or reinvigorating a stalled transformation. Early in my career, our leadership team had the good fortune of learning about lean from Mark and the DBS team when our company was acquired by Danaher. Our team had never heard of Danaher or Lean prior to the acquisition, but we embraced the Lean philosophy and personally it formed the leadership approach that I have utilized successfully at numerous companies following my tenure at Danaher. Mark will provide his thoughts and insights on why companies fail to effectively implement a Lean approach, what he has learned from studying and in some case living those failures and what leaders can do to avoid repeating the mistakes that could lead to doom their lean transformation. Mark, welcome to our podcast and thanks for taking the time to provide some insight to our listeners. Oh, thanks a lot. Good uh, re-hooking up with you again. And I, I will have to tell your audience that you were one of the stellar students and implementers <laughs> of DBS as president of Paxi. Uh, you did a phenomenal job there. As a matter of fact, uh, if you recall, we even took the analyst to your plant shortly after we acquired you because you made so many great, uh, uh, we took the stock analysts. I don't know how many we had there. We had quite yeah, a few. Yeah, it was a whole, you're right. I'd forgotten about that. It was a whole uh, yeah. analyst meeting at our facility in Wilmington, Massachusetts. In Massachusetts. And, and you know, the thing about it is, you know, we would take uh, the analysts to places that we thought were really, trans and we wanted to be able to show them early stage transition and how much we could really do right. uh, with, with DBS uh, if you had the right leadership. And you were obviously the right, along with Ken and some of the other guys that were there yeah, uh, and ladies. Yeah, they were, they were, you guys really embraced it and did a, probably one of the better jobs, I think, in all the acquisitions that we had. So, well, I got to tell you, frankly, you know, because the, um, you know, it, it came down, there were three final bidders because Danaher bought us in an auction process and Danaher right. ended up winning it. And um, myself and the team, we all were, were thrilled because the other uh, two suitors who shall remain nameless, you know, we didn't really uh, think we're gonna provide the kind of power that Danaher did. And really what I think caught us by <clears throat> surprise a little is when we went and looked at Danaher, the performance you know, through the '90s was just spectacular, and and we're right. all looking at it going, "Geez, these guys obviously know something. We can probably learn a lot." And the other thing I think too is during the due diligence, Danaher took a much different approach than the other two suitors. The one suitor was kind of all over the map, um, 
The other one was all they were worried about was cost and leverage for purchasing and whatnot. But Danaher was very thoughtful and really wanted to know about strategic opportunities and, and where right. the business could be taken. And so that also was another reason we were thrilled with that. That, well, that kind of that kind of leads into your your first question here because right. you know Bill, uh, a lot of companies look at lean as a cost cutting exercise, right? And right. probably those other suitors looked at it in that regard, and 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 we did not. We looked at it as, hey, how can we properly grow the right. business and, and 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 not only make a have a win for shareholders, but have a, a win for our employees, uh, and and also obviously our customers. So all three of those have to, and I do talk about that in the book where, you know, the lean trilogy in the respect that, you know, we have to make sure all stakeholders win. And there are other stakeholders too, like suppliers, like the environment, like the community, but all stakeholders have to win in this game. And that's one of the reasons, quite frankly, that lean does fail because there's only one maniacal focus on shareholders and cost. And mm -hmm. usually cost is a result of doing all the other things, right? Like quality delivery right. lead time, stuff like that, right? So um, so that is one of the answers to your question that it's looked at as a short-term tactical cost-cutting tool. And, and that's where a lot of companies go wrong. But the other ones, as you well know very well, is the tie of our lean initiatives back to our strategic comparatives. So right. you were one of the better uh, uh, implementers of what we call policy deployment, where some, I now call strategy deployment, uh, Hoshin Planning, Hoshin Connery, a lot of different names for it. Right. <clears throat> but you were one of the better uh, implementers of that and how you tied your lean initiatives back to the strategic uh, imperatives of the company uh, from a profitable growth perspective and uh, also making the conscious decision of what not to do. And that's a really hard thing for some leaders to do. Yes, it is. <laughs> the other thing, I think the other couple reasons is that, uh, you know, People focus on optimizing functions, primarily sticking with only manufacturing, and they don't look at the how the whole enterprise works together. Product design, marketing, sales, accounting, finance, uh, go down to HR. You know, they don't look at how to optimize the enterprise. They look at optimizing usually one or two functions, whether it's engineering or, or manufacturing, but everybody else operates in a very traditional fashion. Because I, I, I'll always say that try to optimize and become the best function in the world, whoever be, you will sub-optimize the enterprise. I can guarantee you that. And that's not good. And and so, and then last but not least, hands-off leadership, which basically you were not, and and uh, hands-off leadership and and not sticking to some of the very fundamental basics today. Uh, leadership has to be in, it's not a spectator sport, as you well know, right. and you demonstrated, uh, but leadership being hands-off and not getting involved and just kind of sitting there put up a couple posters and a couple saying a few things at, at quarterly meetings and saying how committed you are. And really what most leaders are committed in is the results. Everybody who calls me usually wants Danaher's results. They don't <laughs> want to do the work involved in doing it. So that's become enamored with. And, uh, and, uh, and they'll say they're, they're, they're committed, but, but most do not, but hands-off leadership is a big deal. And that's something that you did not do. You participated on Kaizen events, you led, you taught. And, uh, right. you know, that that's the magic elixir, if you will, for success. Yeah. I mean, I think you're definitely right. I mean, the whole, I, I, I tend to probably harp on go to Gemba too often, but it's basically, you know, a key tenant. You got to be out there and see where, it, what's going on, be it 
on the factory floor in the office, you know, you can't do that from the conference room as we know. So no, exactly. And you did not do that. You know, you know, and, and again, for your listeners, if they're not familiar with the Japanese word called Gemba, it's kind of what it kind of loosely translates to is like where the work gets done. Right. And a lot of people refer right. to the factory as the Gemba, but you know, you could think about a truck driver, his Gemba is the highway and, and his yes. cockpit that he sits in and uh, or a pilot sitting in a cockpit or, uh, the operating room for a surgeon, that's his Gemba or her Gemba. And uh, so it's where the work gets done and going to see is a big deal. And that's what leadership has to do. See, do you know that Toyota had a, uh, and John Chuck, friend John Chuck, who, who's one of the first guys out of Numi to go to Japan uh, and wrote a lot of great lean literature. Right. John that at Toyota, they do not let, let leaders opine on a problem unless they've observed it firsthand. Isn't mm. that interesting? Yeah. How many meetings would you not have had if that was the case, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, so going to see, getting to going to Gemba is a big deal. And uh, that that's again, part of the hands-on thing that I'm talking about with leadership. Well, I thought, I thought too, the, the Toyota practice of, you know, a, a new, uh, new leader, a new employee, taking them out onto the factory floor, putting them in a spot and, leaving them there for the day and just observing what's going on. And then at the end of the day, having a discussion about, so what did you see? Um, well, our, our Japanese senseis made that. They would draw a circle and, and they'd tell me, Deluzio-san, no talking, which is hard <laughs> for me to do. And, uh, you just have to, and, you know, I go back to my Yogi Berra, although I'm a, not a Yankee fan. Yogi Berra had a great saying. He said, you can observe a lot just by watching, right? right? And <laughs> and so, but I met a guy, a super guy, worked for Lexus and part of Toyota, of course. And when he went to Japan, his sensei there, his first three months had to stand in the same spot every day for three months. Three months. You know, I did it for a couple, three hours, right? right? Every day for the first three months, he had to stand there. And it was interesting because he said the first thing he noticed which was opposite of what his sensei thought was what he heard, hmm. what he heard and then what he smelled, okay? Ah. And then what he saw, right? Yeah. And the sensei says, usually it happens the other way around. But when you hear things that are unusual, you know, right. when you smell things, when you and obviously see things that uh, it, it's, it's so powerful just by right. watching. And three months, he did it for three months. Yeah, so. so. Great. So, so Mark, the, you know, I mentioned the book and um, great book, by the way, great read. I recommend it, highly recommend it to anybody who's either been doing lean or is thinking about leaping into it. But um, you talk about five steps um, in the book. Could you give a little color on that? The five steps? Yeah. Well, the five steps are kind of like the solutions, right? Uh, right. To the problem that we just described. Um, and obviously, one is built, as you know, shifting the mindset, okay, shifting your mindset totally away from traditional thinking, because you got to remember a lot of leaders, and what impressed us about you and your team, a lot of leaders got to that president's vice president level doing some traditional things. So now you got to say to a leader, hey, uh, what got you here now in your career isn't going to cut it going forward, right? Mm. That's a hard Thing. So, so shifting the mindset and getting out of this whole business about we're different because the human tendency, right. and this is, there's some empirical psychological evidence out there that says that people tend to look at the differences, not the similarities, right? 
you know, I, I, I told one, a CEO of an insurance company, he said, you got to understand, Mark, we don't make cars. And I said to him, well, I'm glad you don't because we'd all be walking. Okay. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and by the way, if you did figure out how to make a car, right. I wouldn't get in it. I wouldn't yeah. get in it. Okay. Um, but you have to shift the mindset. Yeah, you are different. Of course you're different. And, and by the way, when people want to do DBS bill, I say, no, you can't. Okay. Right. You're not Dan or her. You've got to craft your own approach and you could benchmark. But the one thing that doesn't change bill is the principles. I don't care if it's a lemonade stand or aircraft right. engines, it doesn't matter. Um, the principles are the same, but you have to shift your mindset about how you see things and what you now consider weight, don't consider waste or abnormalities, you now have to look at them a little bit differently, right? The next one is just defaulting back to the basics. And, and, and luckily for us, and even when you started, Bill, back in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of confusion out there, right? right. Yeah, we had Six Sigma kicking around. I had to fight that animal for a while because uh, some of the GE people that came and wanted to overtake DBS with Six Sigma. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of non-value at a time fighting that, but uh, but you now you you think about it now. Look at the look what's out there. You've got a lot of confusion on LinkedIn. If you just go out there, there's TOC theory of constraints. There's right. Six Sigma. There's Lean Sigma. There's demand flow technology. There's uh, Agile. There's now we've got the factory 4.0. I don't know. I forgot. I didn't, I don't know what happened to one, two and three, yeah, but IOT, of course, IOT. And uh, so, and by the way, I think IOT could be a very valuable thing it is. in things like Jadoka, which means, you know, right. right. And, and Pokeyoke and, 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 and all that. But, um, but anyway, there's so much confusion out there today. If we were starting today, I don't know where I'd start. I really don't. Yeah. And, uh, but back then we had Shinkajitsu, which were the lieutenants, of Tashiono, they were the original editors of TPS, and that's what we learned from. Uh, so defaulting to basics works, okay? Uh, we don't need, everybody looks for a silver bullet, and part of the problem is the consulting industry that I'm in, everybody is repackaging stuff all the time with the same stuff with new names as if they invented it, and it confuses the hell out of people. Right. The next is aligning back to strategy, okay? How are you going to, you know, I could spend a lot of time 5S in my mailroom and, and, and improving my mailroom, or I could spend time on my new product development process that's going to drive profitable growth in my business, right? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, do your mailroom, uh, but what I am saying on a priority basis, I think I'm going to look at new product development, right? And so aligning with the strategy of the business is really key. The enterprise focus that we talked about that you have to really, and that's where all leaders have to really be on the same page to be able to transform the enterprise. Um, we did not set out to be, but matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but we initially started out as a Danaher production system and the name, we changed right. the name to the Danaher business system because we wanted, we didn't want to become the best manufacturing company in the world. Right. We wanted to become the best enterprise in the world. Right. And by the way, Danaher in all due respect, as good as they are, will never be as good as Toyota. They've been at it for 70 years. And, and, and Toyota is just, I think, one of the best manufacturers in the world. I studied over there. I've worked over there. Right. And I've seen their suppliers. Um, knock your socks off. I mean, we had one company we went to build. That, the argument we had was whether or not that business was turning 300 or 700 times in inventory. I mean, that was the argument. <laughs> it's a good argument um, to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And enterprise focus. And the last one, really, probably the most important is this whole business about respect for people, right? Which is a right. bigger thing than just employees. Uh, it's, it's respect for people and uh, in living to the values that we talk about. So every website you go to today on a company, they'll have 
you know, all their values, honesty, integrity, teamwork, communication, right. blah, 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 blah. But there's no processes built to drive those values. Okay. Like uh, I said to one, one client, uh, how many people here believe that problem solving is at the lowest possible level is a core thing that we need to do? And they all raised their hand. I said, okay. Um, do you have a problem solving process? No. Do you train your people in problem solving? No. Do you have a, do you give them time to solve problems? No. Then how's it going to happen? Right. Okay. Do you believe that the leader's number one job is to, is to develop your people? Yeah. They all raise their hand. Do you have a career development process? No. How many people here senior leaders? How many of you create development plans? Right. Nobody. Right. So I can, right on the spot, I was giving this talk. I said, I came up with this slogan. It's a slogan about a slogan, but I said, <laughs> values and principles without an underlying process is mere, are merely slogans. Yeah. That's it. Okay. And uh, so this whole respect for people thing is a big deal. And, right. and that uh, is probably the biggest downfall that most uh, companies, they don't create that problem solving culture. They don't ask their employees for their input. Uh, they have them come in every day and push a green button and right. go home. Right. And hand their brains on a hook while they're there. So uh, that is, that's probably the biggest deal, Bill. And then everything else kind of falls under that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as is always the case, people are the toughest, toughest thing to, to, I think, um, you know, achieve the right things on, you know, things are a lot easier to deal with than people, but you're right. The respect for people. And a lot of times you see, you know, one of the key things I always look at for respect for people is, are, are you worried about and paying attention to safety and making sure everybody's safe? Because certainly if you're not doing that, you don't have a lot of respect for your people because you, you've been in a lot of plants like myself and there's a lot of dangerous stuff in a lot of plants. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, quickly you look through. Well, you and know, see you remember at Danaher, we had the safety, quality, delivery, cost, right. hierarchy, SPD. right? Yep. In that order, right? Yes. And the first one was safety. safety. Uh, in a lot of respects, a lot of companies work off the mantra of cost, 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 when you really right. look at what you're doing, okay? <laughs> and it's not safety, quality, delivery, cost, you know? So uh, so safety should be number one. I had a client that uh, that planned out five key safe hazards that they're going to work on during the year. Mm -hmm. I said, excuse me? Five? You're going to do that one in March and that one in July and that one? You already know about them? Yeah. Right. Well, why don't we do them like now? I mean, you're going to allow, you're admittedly allowing your employees to work in that, in that environment. Right. Well, it will be very costly if we did them all now. So I said, you're prioritizing cost over safety. SQDC, it's CCCC. And uh, safety somewhere way down on the bottom. So I said, if that's just disrespectful. If you already know the right. five major hazards and you're not going to deal with them until October. You know, I said, I could just see a defense attorney after a guy cuts his hand off say, you knew about these? Right. Do it, right. Uh, that's just, that, that's a great example of, and that's, by the way, that's a real life example. Okay. Um, uh, of, of, of a company who really does think about cost first, even though they talk the talk about SQDC. Yeah. You know, there, there was another, on the, on the third, third of the five items you talked about, um, the lean transformation with a strategy, and you made a, a comment in the book that I thought was a great one, because um, I think it went something, I'm going to paraphrase here, you know, it's, hey, lean is really kind of a, an execution strategy, but you also need a business strategy to execute. So, 
I, th I thought it was an interesting statement because it said, hey, you know, lean is a strategy, but it needs to be in support of a, a business strategy. Um, yeah, well, it does. It does. And uh, a lot of people think that all you have to do is whack in a little lean and everything's going to be great. But exactly. Business, yeah. And, and I mean, think about it. Um, you know, if I, I use the example of cement life preservers, if I, I can have the best <laughs> lean manufacturing company in the world making cement life preservers, right. and guess what? I'm not going to win, right? right? Buggy whips, buggy whips, buggy whip, uh, right. eight track players. Yes. Oh, you know what? I'll bet you any money if we put eight track out, it would come back. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd buy one. I'd buy one. Uh, I used to love my A-Track player. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's funny. It, it, but you're right. So I don't believe that you can just apply lean. Now, now, let me give you an example with Toyota, okay, which arguably is the best lean company in the world. Right. If you look at their return to shareholders, if, if that's a measure, and, it, and by the way, you could be a really great financially, uh, financially financial returns to your shareholders be top world-class and still not be a world-class company, in my opinion, because right. if you're just respecting your other share stakeholders, like employees, customers, it doesn't matter. And by the way, I had a client like that. Yeah. That was Danaher-esque in their returns, and they were not world-class, in my opinion, because they were just disrespectful to other people. I mean, really, probably one of the worst uh, negligent leadership practices I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, uh, but let's just look at financial returns for a minute. Since 1996, Toyota has returned roughly an average of 6% per year to shareholders, where Danaher since that time has returned over 20. Right. Okay. Now, is Danaher a better lean company? No. Uh, but Toyota is in a bad business. Yes. It, automotive's a lousy business. Danaher would never, matter of fact, we sold, as I told you before, right. so, we sold our automotive right. supply, supply businesses early on when I was there because right. we don't want to be in automotive. Okay. It's just a bad business to be in airlines. Why would you want to be in an airline? And so, I mean, they're, they're worse. So as good as Toyota is, their return to shareholders is not anywhere near what Danaher is. Right. right? And you would think it would be, but Lord help Danaher if Toyota ever got into their business. Okay. Because they'd blow them away. They really would yeah. as good as Danaher is. And I love Danaher. I love the rails brothers and, and everything else, but Danaher's just not as good as Toyota. I'm sorry. But right. from a business perspective, they're very shrewd people. And if you look at Danaher today, all the metal banging businesses, including your business, are gone, are gone now. Right. <laughs> and the only business when I left in 2001, the only business bill that they still have is Hawk, the water quality people. Yes. Okay. Which they bought, uh, I think, in 99 or 2000. Yeah, about then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Out in Colorado and uh, also in Europe. And, uh, and so they transformed that business into yes. life sciences and medical technology and all that. And it was brilliant how they transitioned, but they used, the, they used the stock as currency on the metal banging businesses like right. tools and Jake breaks and things like that to be able to fund that, that transition. Okay. So they were now, if you look at Toyota, they kind of just stuck with autos all these years. Right. Now they have other businesses too. They do forklifts. They do the, the Hino Motors, right. which was my customer, by the way, when I was running uh, the Asian business for Jake Brake, yeah. uh, general manager for that business. Uh, so they have other things, right, that they do, but they haven't really diversified greatly from their core. And maybe that's okay. Maybe their vision is, hey, this is okay. This is what we want to do, you know? Right. 6% a year, that's fine, you know? And that's okay if they're okay with that. If their shows are okay with it, fine. But when you just look at that metric, 
they are not anywhere near as profitable as, as Danner, right? right? So, um, well, so that goes you know, back to the whole point. I mean, it's really a combination of, you know, hey, what's your business strategy, your business model? What businesses are you in? As you said, you know, you can be in a really good business and a real bad business, but then you layer on top of that, are you doing a good lean job or not a good lean job? Ideally, you want to be in a really good business from a, a, a financial returns point of view and then applying lean on top of that. Exactly. Yeah, but you know, the thing is, and I think you guys kind of did that a lot because of your technical background coming out of MIT, you smarty pants, you, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you guys actually then, when you did Kaizen at Paxi, right, you guys um, were able to use your newfound capabilities to grow the business because it, like, for example, um, when you do Kaizen and you, and, you, and you free up capacity and you shorten your lead times, you now have a competitive weapon to be able to grow, even from a new product development perspective, right? right. So, you know, something that might've taken you 48 months to develop, you can do it in 12 months now. That's a new, that's new math now when it comes to breakthrough against your competition. So you're able to actually use that uh, as a weapon now. So it, it all feeds itself, you know? And, and that's the strategic part of that, provided that you have a good business to begin with and a good yes. strategy. You know, yes. when I say good business, I mean, you're in a good market and, and, you know, we used to look for companies that had really bad competition, right? And, uh, <laughs> right. Even though they were, may have been one of them, but. Yeah. So, um, so you went through the four, four uh, five points. Another, another key thing I thought was interesting in the book was you talked about the um, lean trilogy, customers, employees, and shareholders. And, and this is really, I think, interesting view given the times we're in, because you're seeing a lot more about uh, capitalism and stakeholders versus shareholders. And so um, can you talk a little about the, you know, how you came up with the whole lean trilogy thing and, and discuss a little about um, how you talk about it in the book? Yeah, well, again, the trilogy really is addressing three stakeholders, employees, customers, and shareholders. Right. And the whole premise of the trilogy is that it cannot be a zero-sum game where only one group, like the shareholders, wins. Yes. Everybody has to win, okay? And if they all three don't win, it's not going to sustain over time. Now, uh, so any one decision, Bill, that we make, like, for example, let's say I gave my employees a raise. Right. Well, you can argue that's going to hurt the shareholder, right? Well, not really, because if I don't pay them appropriately... I have attrition, I have turnover, I have disruption. That's gonna affect my customer, right? And, uh, and, and when it affects my customer, that's gonna affect my shareholder. So, you know, any one decision that you make may or may not be in the best interest of the other two stakeholders, right? But as you step back maybe from 20, 30,000 feet and look over the decisions that you make over time, all your decisions need to be in concert with, with optimizing the objectives of all three groups. Okay. So they all have to win. And, and, and sometimes we have conflicting, the, the stakeholders may have conflicting uh, objectives, right? right? But we have to find a way to satisfy all of that. And, and uh, uh, for example, career growth, right? For your employees. You know, a lot of people think, hey, employees only care about making a lot of money. But as you know, mo mo money could be a dissatisfier, but it's not a satisfier long-term. So, you know, 
Are you engaging your employees, providing them career paths of opportunity? Are you treating them fairly? Uh, you know, that type of thing. It was funny, Bill. I, when I went to Honda uh, uh, in Marysville, I benchmarked them. They had a sign on the wall and they were very blatant about it. They said, it said, our priorities are number one, employees, number two, customers, number three, shareholders, hmm. in that order. And their argument was, if I don't take care of my employees, we're not going to take care of our customers. And if I don't do that, obviously the shareholders don't get, right? So, so uh, and I thought, that, and it always stuck with me when I saw that. That was pretty right. cool. And uh, so that's the lean, that's why I came with the lean trilogy that it can't be a zero sum game. And most companies only make decisions to try to drive shareholder value. And that's it. They cut costs. Uh, uh, they don't think about the future. One of the things I loved about George Sherman, our CEO, was he would tell me, Mark, I'm not worried about next week, next month, next year. I'm thinking two, three years out. Right. He says, I'm thinking about that and people. Those are two things he thought about right. all the time. And he was a walking Pareto diagram and really instilled that in me. Right. Mark, why are you working on that? That's not priority. Right. And I really, he really instilled that in me from a strategic perspective and always worked on the priorities of the business in regard to those bigger objectives, like three years out strategic growth. And also obviously, uh, um, you know, uh, people, right. In terms of how are we going to have the people in the saddles, in three years that are going to be ready to run these businesses, right. you know? So it, it was really a, a, a hell of a lesson for me. Well, I think the other thing, I mean, you, you mentioned George, um, who was the, you know, the CEO at Danaher when we got acquired and, and yeah. uh, uh, was a fantastic guy. And, and I think one of the, the things that really stuck with me on that was a topic we were talking earlier about, you know, going to Gemba. And I remember going, on a tour with at the Jake Brake plant down in Clemson, I think it was. And um, George is out there on the floor and he's chatting it up with all the people on the floor who he knew by first name and whatnot. You know, oh, yeah. he, here's the CEO of what was then, what, a five, six billion dollar company, I think at that time. And he's yep. in the plant, you know, he knows the, the operators by first name and, and that kind of, you know, gives you a, a pretty big impression, especially we were early on and we would only been, you know, acquired a few, a few months earlier. So that was, um, so there was another example of a, you know, a leader who walked the talk. Well, I'll tell you, just aside for George Sherman, I'll tell you a quick story. I'm with, with him one time and uh, he wa walks into this plant. <laughs> he, he and I walk into the plant and uh, he, he hadn't been there in a year. He walks up to a machine operator and said, hey James, how you doing? First of all, James is like, wow, you remember my name? <laughs> and then George goes on and says, hey, how's your daughter, uh, Leslie, doing? Yeah. Leslie, uh, you remember my daughter? Yeah, fell over, right? She's got to be in her, what, second year now, engineering, right. right? I mean, the guy was amazing, okay? And his real, he, had, he had real people skills. And, uh, you know, George came from the streets, and uh, he grew up, he went through the ranks, and uh, he had great people skills. He was probably one of the smartest guys I knew, and he... Uh, he also, you know, uh, was probably the most strategic guy I ever met in my life. I mean, I, I, I sat through so many strategy meetings with him that, I mean, what, what a, I had a, I had a Harvard, Harvard MBA work for me once. I took him out for a couple of those meetings and he said to me at the end, he said, Mark, I learned more about strategy in these three days than, uh, than I did all of my time at Harvard. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Yeah, yeah, George was phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, he was.
So. And then, then you got to meet the guys who saw all this, you know, Kern and who who wrote the forward to my book, right. and George Saker, who hired me at Jake Break. Uh, Art Art is a phenomenal uh, transformation uh, CEO. Went on after Dan or her to go to Wiremold, which is right. a, it's in Manos as well, until the they got acquired by a company and they screwed it up. But uh, but Art Byrne was a phenomenal. Uh, uh, lean CEO and and he uh, agreed right you know matter of fact I'm going to Boston in, in a couple of weeks I got to call him and see if I can have dinner with him again but he always makes me buy uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, some really unbelievable people there right. Bill and uh, you you probably didn't know Art by the time you got there but uh, no uh, I've met Art Art since then though but it goes oh, you have. back to the people thing right <laughs> it always goes back to the people well, Art's one of those guys that would go out and teach operators uh, standard work or 5S right. or SMED or, you know, uh, and, and they'd go home and say, the CEO taught me today. Yeah. He came down, he knows my name, you know. Uh, so, okay. yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. I, I was oh, just great. Um, so was if, you, if you kind of step back, Mark, and look at, at uh, the book and, um, you know, what are, what are the one or two kind of key things you would want people to, to take away from, reading the book? Well, one of the things I'm really big on, or first of all, obviously the respect for people thing, I can, right. I don't want to beat that to death, but that's so important, Bill, as you know. Um, one of the things I always say, Bill, is uh, you can read all this stuff, okay, but you got to go do it, right? <laughs> okay, so, so Bill, the other thing I would, I would say is I would challenge anybody in business today when you think about lean, right? Compare how you run your daily life to what you do in business, okay? Ask yourself the questions like, do you drive your car around the block tonight a thousand times to get efficiency out of it? So why do you run your equipment to get efficiency out of it? Right. Uh, you know, if you don't need to run it, right? Uh, do you buy, if you live in Chicago, do you buy groceries in Los Angeles because it's cheaper? Well, then why do companies who have U.S.-based customers go to China? Right. It, the math does not work. I could tell you right now, I've actually done the math. You know my financial background. Right. It never works. And the way CEOs calculate the cost savings are always wrong. Uh, so you think about stuff like that. You think, you, you know, you think, about, you know, why do I need to do more changeovers on a piece of equipment when I got 12 products I have to make? Well, it's because you, your customers don't order them one at a time they order all 12 at the same time so you've got to do changeovers and you know I'll go back to your you know your backyard barbecue if you have if you're serving hot dogs and hamburgers you never just make the hot dogs because you're going to leave all the people who want hamburgers hanging there watching people eat hot dogs so you make them both well okay that's why we have to change over and make every part every day as you know as rapidly as we can and there's a lot of math behind that, but you know, that's a concept, right? So right. all the things that we do in our daily lives, we don't do, I think we run a pretty lean, uh, you know, we don't buy six months worth of groceries because they're on sale, but we do in business and then the design changes and we have to scrap all the material. So a lot of, a lot of this goes back to our measures in lean accounting, which you know, I was lucky enough to be known now as the father of lean accounting uh, back in 1989 at Jake Break. And, uh, and all those traditional accounting measures drove the wrong behaviors, absorption accounting and all that. So, so with that all being said, 
you know, I look at this and I say, you know, we don't run our lives the same way we run our businesses. Right. And if we just thought about that for a minute and say, would I do this? Would I buy six months worth or whatever uh, in my daily life? No, for all the obvious reasons why, right? So, so just think about that. And if you can just reconcile that, you would be much better off and your business would be much better off. But you got to get rid of the measures and the compensation system that are tied to these ridiculous measures, you know? Otherwise, it's not going to change. Makes sense. So, well, uh, Mark, once again, um, thank you for taking the time to join our podcast. We appreciate your insights. And if people want to learn more about Mark and Lean Horizons, you can go to Lean, the Lean Horizons website at www.leanhorizons.com. Mark's book, which I highly recommend, Flatlined, can be found on Amazon.com and hardcover paperback or Kindle format. Um, in the interest of continuous improvement, I invite feedback from our listeners. Please share your thoughts and ideas on these weekly podcasts and feel free to suggest topics which you believe would provide useful information for you and our listeners. Mark, once again, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, Bill, good catching up with you again. Uh, and let's stay in touch. Yeah. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on today's podcast. And please join us next week when we discuss pull systems. <laughs>